Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Anandis Sunday service here at the Temple of Light at Ananda Village. Special welcome to all our visitors and guests from the Expanding Light Retreat as well as our Meditation Retreat, and certainly for all those watching live or in time online. This reading is taken from Rays of the One Light with commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita written by Swami Kriyananda. Today's focus is entitled, Self-Effort, Too, is Needed. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. These past weeks we discussed the need for balancing self-effort with receptivity to divine grace. Both are important in the spiritual life. Passive dependence on grace hasn't the magnetism to attract grace. Boastful self-confidence, however, which closes itself off from the higher divine power, is shallow, brittle, and given life's many uncertainties, susceptible to ultimate failure. There is a story in the Bible that illustrates the need to put forth personal effort so as to draw magnetically on the divine power. The story occurs in the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 8. But as he went, the crowds nearly suffocated him. Among them was a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and who had derived no benefit from anybody's treatment. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. As a result, her hemorrhage stopped immediately. Who was it who touched me? Jesus asked. When everyone denied it, Peter remonstrated. Master, the crowds are all round, pressing you on every side. But Jesus said, somebody touched me. I felt power going out from me. When the woman realized that she had not escaped notice, she came forward, trembling, and fell at his feet, and admitted before everyone why she had touched him, adding that she had been instantaneously cured. Daughter, Jesus said, it is by your faith that you have been healed. Go in peace. Self-confidence and self-effort are necessary, as the ignition of a car is necessary to the motor. Of what use the ignition, however, if the motor itself will not work? Wise is he who recognizes the real power in the universe and guides his life by that supreme power. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, the ninth chapter, to those who meditate on me as their very own, ever united to me by incessant worship, I make good their deficiencies and render permanent their gains. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. So I also would like
like to welcome all of you. Isn't it wonderful that we're in this temple? And as Davy said in her last uh, blog, we have to gush a little bit about the temple <laughs> because it's truly a miracle. I would like to uh, read to you, this is a poem of Yogananda's, not in whispers, and it was given to me years ago. Um, it's called Breathe in Me and written in 1938. Breathe in me the way to love you, that I may learn to faultlessly love you. Pour me the wisdom wine by which I become intoxicated with you. Whisper in my ears of silence the way to be with you always. Speak to my wandering senses and lead them back to your sanctuary within. Call the marauding mind and counsel it how to retrace its steps unto your home. With your silent eyes, just look at me, and I will know where to find you. You may hide behind the ocean. You may hide behind delusion. You may hide behind life. You may hide behind dualities. You may hide behind theological conundrums. You may hide behind unanswered, unanswered prayers, but you cannot hide behind my love, for in the mirroring light of my love, you are revealed. So, I wanted to talk about two different aspects of this topic, the need, uh, self-effort is needed to um, one, we've just been through uh, quite an amazing time, and I think for all of us it's really good to just look back on what's actually happened that got us here. Because this is how the miracle of Ananda existing for 50 years has happened all along the way all the many miracles that have happened. Over a little over a year ago, right around this area here, we planted in the red dirt a yantra and other holy things that were covered over a little over a year ago, not long at all. And then quickly after that, the concrete came in and the forms were put up and the, everything was covered and it started to happen. But all along the way, <clears throat> I don't know how the rest of you were, but my mind was going, well, I hope we can do it. It's great. We will do it. But given that we were planning the 50-year anniversary in just a little over a year, it was like, wow. This will be very interesting because we also didn't have all the money. You know, it wasn't just the labor and the everything, but the self-effort that I saw and that we all did. Everybody, not only here, the builders, everybody serving here, but many people from around the world did to make this building, but it's more than a building, make this happen, was just incredible in a way, but this is the story of Ananda. 
This is how the miracles of Ananda have happened. Just backing up a little bit to 1973, I had been here a little, about a year or so, and this one fellow came, and he was from Southern California, I think he'd been connected with SRF, and he was trying to be a monk, and we were all living at the monastery and things like that, maybe not, maybe a little later than 1973, but at any rate, I remember I could see his mind just kind of reeling from how we operated at that time because it was very much about intuition and the flow of energy. And yes, people had certain jobs and, and kind of grounded that energy in certain areas, but there was a lot of just flow and intuition and uh, Swami guidance and what we were doing, and it kind of looked like chaos. And this fellow, at a certain point, he just said, I, I, just don't, I just don't understand how this place works. And, uh, and, and he left. He just, it didn't make sense to him. Now me, I'm, I'm a logical person, I'm a rational person, common sense, all of that. But somehow, the intuitive, spiritual flow of everything that was going on then just made perfect sense to me. I just thought, wow, this is fabulous. Mainly because when I first came here, I thought, this feels like the autobiography. The consciousness, the energy, the potential, the adventuresomeness, all of that. I thought, yes, of course, this is what Yogananda wrote about in his book. And I want to be part of this. And so, as we went throughout the years, people, many people came and went, but many people stayed. And we had many miracles happen. And by miracles, there are the run-of-the-mill miracles, you know, somebody dives off a cliff and doesn't get killed. I mean, those are the run you know, those are the obvious <laughs> miracles. But the big miracle was that we continued to exist and to grow, despite having to build this community, I often thought, and please excuse my phrase, from the mud up. I mean, literally, we were in mud, without electricity, water, uh, nothing built in. You know, infrastructure, we were talking about uh, Paradise the other day that burned down, and oh, they lost all their infrastructure, and somebody said, yeah, and our fire in 1976, and I said, we didn't have any infrastructure to burn down, it wasn't a problem. <laughs> so, but that that um, recurring energy, it's about the energy and consciousness and about all of us knowing intuitively how to work together. In the beginning, that was a smaller group, and people chose that. Self-effort, we're talking about, they, they chose to be included in that. One time someone said, well, why do you get to travel with Swami Kriyananda down to LA or wherever he was going? And the man said, because I asked him if I could come and help. He asked. He, he, he made that self-effort to be included. So the people that were included in more of a core group, they, they put themselves there. They wanted that. They really wanted to experience that deepest spirituality that comes by including yourself in a spiritual adventure that you don't know 
the, the end of the story yet. You don't know quite how it's all going to work out. You know, in the beginning years, it didn't look that great, but here we are now, 50 years later, sitting in this building and with a wonderful community that is worldwide. But I just also somehow want to convey the fact that it's not the people living here at the village. They are part of that. But it is the fact that people from all over the world have included themselves in this great spiritual adventure. And that's what made this temple possible. The, and the energy behind it. Yes, the builders were fabulous. Every time I would ask Pandaranga and others would ask him about, so how's it going? Do you think we're going to be finished? He said, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Just that energy and all of the people that were involved on the end of really bringing it together on the physical plane. I mean, it's no small thing. But, but then also we, you know, it's not like at Ananda that we don't look to the future, but that future needs to be stepped into little by little. And so we um, make plans. We made lots of plans for the 50th. And then they changed, and they changed, and they changed. And the people, well, one person was doing that, and that didn't really suit them. So they worked over here. And it was a moving thing. And yet we knew we were putting out self-effort. We were really trying to get uh, to the point where we could pull off finishing the temple and having a seven or eight day time with everybody here. Now that part also for me, even though I've been through many of the miracles of Ananda and you don't know quite how it's going to work, but it ends up working, was that the registrations, because in the beginning people were saying, oh, we're going to have a thousand people here. And I thought, sure, maybe we'll have 500. But then as the weeks went on and everybody, the magnetism built, and everybody from around the world really wanted to be here for that, kept going up. It was 500, then it was 600, then it was seven, eight, nine. It was like, I thought, oh no, how are we actually, and don't, it, w it wasn't only me, believe me, how are we actually going to pull this off so that it's a really wonderful time for everybody? so that it's really comfortable. And it took everybody, all the planning. I thought, well, if we have the temple, we have enough chairs, we have a place to eat, we have food, we have a place to sit, and we have sadness, and we have classes. That's pretty good, you know, maybe that will work. But the numbers of people, I just thought, we've never had that many people on this property at any one time, ever in our history. How will this work? You could imagine congestion and cars and people honking at each other and, you know, just any kind of stuff that would happen in a big crowd. So none of that happened. And, and yet, going forward little by little, even at the last minute, people joined us who fit in and filled places that were vital to all of this functioning in the right way. And so when we finished the temple, just in the nick of time, this rug was being laid the week, few days before, 
the rug was, wasn't in yet. Then we put in the chairs, we had to clean everything, all of that. And we were ready for the very first time that we used this temple was Sunday evening, June 30th. It was the beginning of the week. And I was just reflecting back and thinking how wonderful it was that we all used it together from everybody from around the world came. I stood at the back at the doors here to the sanctuary that night because I just wanted to see who was here and how, how it would feel. And the wave of energy that just started pouring into this temple, there were about 700 people that came that night. And that was the small, small group for that week. But it just, people were so filled with, with joy, with love, with appreciation. And you could feel it when they came in, just that whole wave of energy. And then we all got seated in one room at one time comfortably with the lights working, the AC working, the sound working, everything functioned. And I thought, this is a real miracle. <laughs> no, because we, met, we did the plans, but you know how it is. Plans, you know, go, go askew. But it was so fabulous. And during that entire week, that energy, it was, I would say, by far, the most inspiring spiritual event we have ever, ever had at Ananda. And, uh, and that evening of June 30th, it was our, wor- our temple. Everybody throughout the world now knows that this is their temple of light, not just people who live here at the village. So, but that's, that's a real miracle. And it's a miracle that involves self-effort because we planned like crazy. We had so many meetings about the temple, planning how to build it, and then so many meetings about the 50th, planning how to do it. And then it was like, well, hope it works. <laughs> you know? And that's kind of because the hope it works part is God's grace. When you are willing to step forward out into what you don't know, and, and you do your self-effort, you, you do your best, but then you're willing just to say, let's, let's hope it works and see how it goes. And that's what happened. People were thrilled to be here. It was an incredible, incredible event. And now we have this beautiful temple going forward. But that is, how, I just hope that you can understand what I'm trying to convey here, is that that's how all of Ananda has been built because we have people now coming, and over the last number of years, well, what are you going to do about seniors? What are you going to do about, you know, um, housing? What are you going to do about, well, we'll do the best we can, our own self-effort, to make plans that feel good, and then we'll see how it goes. (laughs) We'll see what ends up actually happening, because please remember, Yogananda's mission is a new wave of energy and consciousness into this world at this time. And so we can't say, this is what it's going to look like. We can say, this feels like the direction that we'll go in. 
and let's see, as, and we check as we go, see how it evolves, see what we need to do to correct, all of that. But that's how the gurus are able to, with their grace, their power, their understanding of what needs to happen in this time, that can come through then. There's an opening there. We haven't closed it off by saying, oh, well, this is what we want and this is what we're going to do. Nope, let's not do that. Let's, let's al always allow for that miracle and that uh, flow of God's grace to come in. Then we switch to the more personal side of self-effort, which the reading was really about. And this, I was thinking about the need for self-effort in regard to Master's early direct disciples. And I, I won't talk a lot about them because there's another part of this I want to speak a little about. But um, there was a man, Warren Vickerman, who lived in New York. And uh, he sold very high-quality rugs. And several people have written a little bit about him. I don't know a lot about him. I know that Swami Kriyananda did meet him, I believe, in New York for many years after he became a disciple of Yogananda's, a direct disciple. Uh, he ran the SRF Center there in New York City. But he was a young man, and Master was a young man, and he heard Warren Vickerman about Yogan. There was this Swami living in Boston. Well, he lived in New York, not too far away. So he just went there, found Yogananda, and it's described that Yogananda happened to walk out of the building where he was staying, and Warren Vickerman was walking up the sidewalk and just called out to him, can you tell me how to go breathless? He didn't want to waste any time. In other words, if you can't tell me, I'm out of here. I'll go back to New York and find somebody else. But he just called that out, and Yogananda said, sure, come on in. <laughs> the self-effort that that took, he just traveled there not knowing, and just, you know, very kind of brashly in one way, uh, wanted to know, but, wanted, but really wanted to know. These were people who were really deeply searching for God and needed to find out how to be able to, to get there. And the other one, of course, that we know more about is uh, Dr. Lewis. But again, uh, and it's said with Warren Vickerman, Yogananda, yep, he, told, he allowed him, put him breathless, and had him experience that and all of that. And Dr. Lewis as well. Just, he had to break through, Dr. Lewis, the prejudices of the time. And there were, you know, we look and say, oh, Yogananda came to America in 1920, and then he did all these things. Well, there were a whole lot of other people that were in America at that time, too, doing what looked like similar things in yoga and uh, astrology in various ways, psychics. Um, but Dr. Lewis didn't want to be fooled. So he was a Boston dentist. And he didn't want to be made to look like a fool, basically. But he went and met Yogananda and, and put out the effort again to go and see him. And, uh, and he said, so there's this saying in the Bible, 
If thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Can you tell me what that means? Can you help me to understand that? And Yogananda said, yes, I can. And so that's when he, they meditated together with facing each other, and Yogananda showed him the entire uh, Sahasrara, the thousand-petaled lotus, and gave him that deep experience so that he would understand what was possible. Both of those men had to go back and do the work. As one of our speakers during the 50th said, very few people are willing to do the work to really find God, to really know a deeper uh, understanding of life. But those two did, and they spent many years connected with Yogananda as direct disciples. But the last thing I'd like to talk about, which is more personal and more similar to the woman who touched the hem of Jesus's robe, and that is the story in the autobiography of Yogananda's sister, Roma, and her, her husband, Satish. And uh, so Roma came to Yogananda and said, please help me, my husband is just tormenting me about my spiritual life, uh, about you, about everything, and uh, I, really, I really need help, and I need for you to help him. And so they arranged to go to Dakshineswar, the Kali temple there, and uh, Satish is, is willing to come, but he's a real feisty guy, you know, just very in his ego and, you know, oh yeah, you know, I'm smart and I know what you're doing and all that, but he does agree to go. And so he goes to the Kali temple and Yogananda goes off and meditates very deeply, praying deeply to Divine Mother to come and help uh, change the heart of this husband of Roma. And he meditates for many hours in front of the Kali temple and really imploring Divine Mother to come. And finally, the priest comes at noon, as they do in many areas of India, and begins to close the doors. And Yogananda is just despondent in a way, saying, oh, Divine Mother, you didn't come, and I really need your help. And then she, the, the temple doors, although closed, the whole temple enlarges, and the statue of Kali, which was worshipped by Ramakrishna as well, uh, becomes alive and comes to him. And he says, oh, Divine Mother, um, please come, please help my brother-in-law, change his heart, help him to become more a devotee. And she, she says to him verbally, thy wish is granted. And so then after that, the vision disappears and Yogananda sees through his ecstatic vision that Satish has finally, he's been meditating a little bit, but now he's really agitated because it's time to have lunch. And he did say, don't forget to arrange for our lunch. And Yogananda didn't, you know, Divine Mother will take care of it. And so Satish is now really angry and he's running around and, and finds Yogananda and just excoriates him and says, so how are we going to eat now? You know, you didn't arrange anything and now the temple's closed and nothing will happen. And right at that time is when the promise is fulfilled. So that through the temple priest who comes over and, 
and says to Yogananda, I watched you meditating deeply for many hours, and it's against our rules, but I have arranged for your lunch to happen here. And then Yogananda just turns and looks directly into Satish's eyes. And he, he just, you know, it could go either way at that point. If, you, if you're really attached to your ego, you're just going to say, that never happened. That never happened, and I don't care, and I'm just, you know, so we'll have lunch. But there was, <laughs> but there was, Satish was deeper than that. And Divine Mother did uh, go right into his heart and touched him deeply. And so from that point on, Yogananda said, uh, he said his, his sister said, he wept openly before me. Now this is early 1900s in India. Men and women, marriage was very traditional. And uh, that was a very, very unusual thing, I think, to have happened. And he said, I'm ashamed of it. Uh, Satish said to his wife, Rama, I'm ashamed of how I've acted. And uh, I want to make it up to you. From now on, we will move out of our bedroom, and we will make the large room our meditation, our, our altar room. And the small room will become our bedroom. And Yogananda said, from that point on, Satish changed. And he said, I, I don't even want to see Yogananda until I've progressed a little bit spiritually. I'm embarrassed to see him. But he really did progress. And what I wanted to make a point of here is that Satish moved on it. That was a moment in time. He got hit hard in the heart. He knew he was wrong. And he, and he changed. He moved things in his life to change. And that, for all of us, is really, I think, a big message, is that we will come upon the times in our life, spiritually especially, when there's a moment in time and we know we could just keep going like we always do, or we could change for the better spiritually. We could take on more of the spiritual adventuresomeness of the spiritual path, which is how you grow. And so the fact that he moved on that and really changed their life and changed his own life dramatically is a big, big thing. Without that, those moments come, their windows onto something much greater. Will you go through that door? Will you have the courage to do that? So just keep that in mind as you go along with your spiritual life. There are moments in time that will come and they will present you with possibilities. But we have to do the self-effort part of it to make that real. Otherwise, it's just a nice idea. And you know, I watched during uh, Swami's lifetime, he, he offered a lot of opportunities to people. And many people said, no, <laughs> I don't want that opportunity. That's too much for me. And he said, fine. You know, you just move on. But, but really look for that, because that energy of Swami Kriyananda, of Yogananda, 
of all of our gurus, Babaji included, that that energy is still coming to all of us. If you're asking to go deeper spiritually, expect those things to happen in your life. And the opportunity, not that you do it blindly, but that you really are aware, awake and ready, because that's how you will really go deeper spiritually and really be able to commune much more deeply with God. Joy to you. Thank you.